topic of our demo talk this evening is bringing equanimity towards our experiences, our meditation experiences. Now, at times, uh, there is so much happening in a retreat and certain meditation practice over you know, several uh, days that uh, the best way you know, to describe this is uh, by way of fitness uh, and simile or illustration. And uh, yes, allow, allow me to uh, share with you a simile uh, that uh, is uh, given in uh, the Visuddhimagga, so the path of Fatna purification. And the simile goes as follows. At one time, there was a man who thought to catch a fish, it seems. So this man then took a fishing net and cast it in water. He puts in his hand, he sees certainly some movement in the water, and he then puts his hand into the mouth of the net under the water and seized a snake by the neck. He was glad, thinking that I have caught a big fish, and he lifted it up to sea. When he saw three marks, he perceived that it was a snake and not a fish, and he was terrified. He saw danger. He felt uh, revulsion for that, for what he had suddenly seized, and desired to be delivered from it. Contriving a means to deliver to deliverance, he then unwrapped the coils from his hand, starting from the tip of its tail. Then he raised his arm, and suddenly when he had weakened the snake by swinging it two or three times around his head, he flung it away, crying, Go, foul snake! Then, quickly scrambling up onto dry land, he stood looking back where he had come from, thinking, My goodness, I have been delivered from the jaws of a huge snake. Now, this certain simile carries a certain meaning. Can you see yourself in this simile? Not really. <laughs> well, 
I'll give you. Chris, maybe you. So herein, at the time when the retreatant was glad at the outset to have acquired human existence, have, uh, having become a human being, this is like the time when the man was glad to have seized the snake by the neck. Now, retreatants, seeing the three characteristics in formations, namely Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta, after effecting resolution of the compact into elements, is like the man's seeing the three marks on putting the snake's head, on pulling the snake's head out of the mouth of the net. The retreatant's knowledge of appearance as terror is like the time when the man was frightened. Knowledge of contemplation of danger is like the man's thereupon seeing the danger, so seeing that, you know, the danger in the snake you know, that he uh, had uh, uh, grasped at its snake. Knowledge of you know, the contemplation of revulsion is certainly you know, like the man's revulsion for what uh, had been seized. Knowledge of desire for deliverance is like the man's deliverance from the snake. The attribution of the three characteristics to formations by knowledge of contemplation of reobservation is like the man's contriving a means to deliverance. For just as the man weakened the snake by swinging it, keeping it away, and rendering it incapable of biting, and was thus quite delivered, so too a retreatant weakens formations by swinging them with the attribution of the three characteristics, rendering them incapable of appearing again in the modes of permanence, pleasure, beauty and self. And is thus quite delivered. That is why it is said you know, that Satwan discerns formations in this way in order to contrive the means to deliverance. Now, do you understand a little bit better? Uh, yes, you do, Fari? A little bit. And Kim? Yes, you do. Now, What we're engaged in here is Satya mindfulness, Satya meditation. And this Satya mindfulness, Satya meditation, 
gradually will lead us to the realization of the peace of Nibbana. However, there are the certain points that certainly need to be fulfilled or certain points that need to be understood along the way. It is not certain that certain we go on a retreat and certain then that maybe three days later we already experience that piece of Nibbana. There's much work to be done for the mind finally being able to let go of formations. See, we have this tremendous tendency to hold on to physical and mental formations. And it is certain only when seeing their uh, true nature, especially when seeing the flaws of Fudner, those physical and mental formations, that ultimately will be in a position to let go of Fudner then. Now, at a certain point in the meditation practice, there are so many different experiences happening that another simile nicely describes what is going on. Namely, the simile of a, a person um, who finds himself or herself in a small dinghy out there on the Pacific Ocean and in the midst of, uh, uh, what is that called? Uh, not a tornado. A typhoon. A, a typhoon, that's it. So you have to choose the right words according to the ocean. And suddenly, so in the midst of a huge and powerful typhoon, the waves go way up to 20, 30 meters. And just remember, you've, you are there in that tiny little dinghy. And suddenly, so being on that dinghy, what happens to you? Is it easy to walk on, on deck? most likely you'll get knocked over or tossed from one side to another or the dinghy might decide to even flip over and you end up in cold water and who knows certainly what else might happen. So being out there on the Pacific Ocean in the midst of a typhoon one gets uh, um, tossed from one uh, extreme to the other, you know, from the bottom of a wave to the very crest of it, and then again you know, to the very bottom of you know, the next wave, and so on and so forth. Now, 
that of course Satna did isn't all that pleasant. Another modern illustration that was giving that was given by Kate Wheeler, the editor of Sadio Pandita's book in this Satna very life. Uh, towards Satna, the end of Sadhu's Sadhuji's uh, retreat, one month Satna retreat at Satna, I am at the I, at the forest refuge of IMS, and so you know, she spoke on behalf of Satna you know, all the retreatants, and she said it felt like you know, being in a um, or, or you know, being in a laundry machine, and. Uh, so being placed in a laundry machine and Satna then some detergent being added and Satna then some uh, hot water being added and Satna then the laundry machine would start Satna revolving one gets uh, as a retreater one gets uh, uh, tossed from one end to another and Satna then um, uh, at some point, all the hot water gets, all the water gets drained, and instead, certainly one gets exposed to some really cold water, and finally comes certainly the last certainly program, namely the tumbling program. And suddenly, at the end, totally wrenched, uh, one leaves certainly the laundry machine. <laughs> Do you get the point? <laughs> Sometimes do you feel like this? <laughs> now, with such a variety of experiences, sometimes quite pleasant, at other times quite overwhelming, we need what? Equanimity. We need equanimity. That's it. And so, therefore, the topic of our Dhamma talk today is equanimity with regard certainly to experiences or towards certain experiences. Now, fortunately, there are you know, better you know, things to come. There, uh, now there is a phase when the meditation becomes uh, much uh, more um, gentle, uh, much more um, mellow, and certain uh, things, you know, the body becomes increasingly stilled, you know, the mind becomes increasingly still, and certainly the mind also becomes increasingly balanced, more and more uh, uh, purity arises in the stream of consciousness, and so on and so forth. Now, allow me to briefly give you just uh, um, some very, the very basic aspects of Fatna equanimity and Satna once we have Fatna this then we shall take a closer look at, at how best and certain difficulties that might arise in the practice and how best to establish equanimity towards experiences. 
So various definitions for equanimity are there. One of them is as a condition of perfect balance or equilibrium. And you know, the corresponding Pali technical term for this would be tatra majatata, and more on this later on. The second definition of equipoise or upika in the Pali scriptural language is balance of the five controlling faculties. And this satna then consists of confidence in the Buddha and his teachings, the presence of effort in avoiding unwholesomeness and developing wholesomeness, correct mindfulness at all times, sati, right concentration and wisdom. So your five controlling faculties, those need to be well balanced. When they're balanced, we speak of equanimity. Now, yet another aspect of equanimity gets highlighted in the words of the following definition. Namely, it says, it's the unshakableness and steadfastness of the individual of the retreatant in the face of the vicissitudes of life. So, in face of the ups and downs of life. And the mind remains unperturbed. The texts speak of, especially the Ratna Sutta, of the Sutta Nipata, speaks of the column of Indra. One is as firm and steadfast as Satna, that column of Indra, that uh, at the time of the Buddha was well, a symbol of firmness and Satna was typically uh, placed uh, just in front of uh, 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 of an ancient city gate. A modern example for you know, that uh, unshakableness and steadfastness of uh, firmness is certain uh, that of um, a tumbling Kelly or a billikin. So most of you will surely know those Satna toys you know, that uh, have, uh, you know, that are rounded at Satna the bottom then towards Satna the top, but you know, they, they become smaller and smaller and Satna in the bottom part of uh, such a tumbling kelly there's usually a piece of Satna metal and Satna when you push it, uh, when you push it to uh, one side and let go of it, then what happens? It comes back to center. It comes back to center. That's it. You push it in the other direction, it will uh, again come back to center. Now, equanimity or equipoise could be 
described or defined as a condition of the presence of wholesome mental states, presence of balance, and uh, then furthermore strength of mind, presence of a repelling, mire, m repelling power of the mind, and also the presence of the so-called resistance power of the mind. In other words, it is a state of strong mental health. The last uh, definition is one uh, that uh, actually concerns uh, you know, the third jhana, and it states uh, uh, one dwells in equanimity, and one watches things, for things, formations, experiences, as they arise. Upapatito, ikati in the Pali scriptural language. Thus, one speaks of equanimity. So one looks at certain formations fairly and certainly sees them without any partiality. Synonyms that have been proposed for equanimity are equipoise, balance of the mind, detachment, impartiality, and uh, there in the middleness, which is the translation of the Pali term tattara majatata, that word or expression very nicely captures one major aspect of equanimity, namely that the mind prefers to stay in the center, to stay in the middle, rather than going to this extreme or that extreme. So it prefers the middle ground over the extremes. It's also been referred to as neutrality of mind, or as the zero point between extremes such as craving and aversion, fear and delight. Another modern term for it would be the non-reactivity of the mind. Now, do uh, keep in mind that indifference is not certainly the same thing as uh, um, equanimity. Indifference is connected with delusion, anyana, and uh, um, uh, whereas in terms of equanimity, uh, this is a wholesome mental state you know, that goes along with wisdom. Now, the Visuddhimagga offers the following uh, definition for uh, equanimity. It certainly says that it clarifies further that equanimity is also not, not uh, a neutral feeling, but rather this certain mental attitude of balance, of detachment, and impartiality. Its characteristic is that of 
conveying consciousness and mental factors evenly in the stream of or, or in, in the mind. Its first function is to prevent deficiency and excess, and the second function is to prevent partiality. And it is manifested as neutrality, or as the Venerable Sadhu Upadita has uh, expressed, it keeps the proper middle ground. It's a state of ease and balance. The simile that has been offered in the Visuddhimagga for equanimity is that of um, a charioteer who uh, drives uh, a chariot pulled by two uh, horses and um, the horses are of equal strength, so they pull at the same speed, and certainly with this, the charioteer only has to look on. The same thing um, goes certainly for uh, equanimity. Now, when we speak of equanimity or equipoise, you know, then you know, many people at first take it to mean equanimity towards challenging formations. So let's say uh, the equanimity towards the rain, and equanimity towards uh, uh, pains and aches, equanimity towards difficult mental states. Now, is that it? Does that cover the entire range of equanimity? Does it or does it not? In Constance, you are not agreeing? It does not. And so equanimity covers both difficult experiences as well as rewarding experiences, destructive as well as constructive experiences, wholesome, unwholesome as well as wholesome mental states. And whatever the state of an object might be, whether it's to our liking or not, it doesn't matter, the mind uh, is not affected by it. It sees the object as just another object, as just another formation. So whether we experience gain or loss, honor or dishonor, blame or praise, happiness or suffering, it doesn't matter. The mind uh, remains unperturbed. Now, 
when we undergo the meditation uh, practice, we first need to uh, develop, um, we first need to survey the objects as certainly they come up and as usual know their nature and certainly gradually become more and more equanimous about certainly those formations. Now, when it comes to the development of this equipoise towards our experiences, be it in the meditation practice or even outside of the retreat, a certain, a certain development or certain developmental stages can be uh, recognized. The Visuddhi Magadhyaya states as the first point, after discerning formations as anicca, dukkha and anatta, so as being impermanent, unsatisfactory and non-self, and further seeing those formations to be void. Secondly, after abandoning terror and delight, which should not means transcending the pairs of or pairs of opposites, such as mm, happiness, unhappiness, an agreeable, pleasant certain uh, feeling, as opposed to an unpleasant certain feeling, heat versus cold, and so on and so forth. And thirdly after becoming equanimous or neutral in the investigation of formations. When those certain three aspects are have been fulfilled and one then persists in the contemplation of formations and in particular seeing them in the light of anicca, dukkha and anatta, sooner or later when conditions are right, uh, the mind will enter upon the triple gateway to liberation. In other words, the crossing over from mundane consciousness to supermundane consciousness will take place. Now, six qualities have been ascribed to this knowledge of equanimity towards experiences. For one thing, there's an absence of fear and certain pleasure. Pain and pleasure are seen with equanimity as the second point. Then usually the meditation gets carried on automatically and without any major effort. So once you know, one 
and get started in a sitting meditation, observes the rise and fall, and a few other objects, now then a certain momentum develops, and suddenly then now things roll on from there. The fourth characteristic of this particular phase in one's practice is the state of equanimity in meditation lasts longer and longer. So retreatants end up in a sitting for longer and longer periods of time. Yet another verifiable point is that as certain sessions get longer, the experiences also become the meditation as a whole becomes finer and finer. And lastly. The meditation is said to be fixed and steady. The mind recoils, and the mind and the mind does not wander to any other objects. Now, usually, retreatants find when there is a well-established equanimity towards formations that, as we have seen, the sessions last longer, longer than an hour could be. Uh, could last as much as two hours or even three hours, sometimes even four hours. And there is a stillness of the body that goes along with it, as well as a stillness of the mind. The sitting posture tends to be upright and relaxed. And certainly over time, you know, there's a predominance of wholesome uh, mental states arising and being present in the stream of consciousness. The equanimity itself becomes more and more continuous, and the mind is characterized oftentimes by the presence of clarity and sudden brightness. Now, among you know, the insight knowledges, we have um, a higher insight knowledge that is known as the knowledge of equanimity about formations, Sankopika Jnana, in the Pali scriptural language. So what has been said so far pretty much concerns that particular insight knowledge, that particular phase in uh, one's sadhana meditation practice. However, having said this, equanimity nonetheless will typically arise towards sadhana, the um, end of sadhana earlier insight knowledges. 
So let's say a certain insight knowledge arises, you keep practicing, and certain grad, and so let's say you know, some difficult um, formations arise, and certain, you know, then you know, to before you know, that or when. Now, that particular insight knowledge gradually becomes or gains certain maturity at that point, or with that suddenly also equanimity will come into play. And so whatever the experiences might be, the mind is quite okay with what's going on. To give you a more specific example. When a retreatant starts observing the breaking up of formations, at that point, is there already plenty of equanimity present or not? What would you say? So the practice changes, and so, you know, a retreatant sees, begins to see objects as breaking up. What would be your answer to this question? Usually, at that point, equanimity isn't often, uh, isn't present, and uh, uh, if it is present, then only in a very uh, mild certain way or weak certain form. It is, however, um, towards certain the end of that particular insight knowledge, after having observed the breaking up of formations hundreds, if not thousands, or even ten thousands of times, that finally the mind becomes balanced about what's going on. There is neutrality towards this breaking up of formations. And so it's quite okay. And the same thing can be observed by retreatants during that also for the ending portion of the of the following insight knowledges. So always towards the transition towards the next insight knowledge. And so what we have discussed so far applies to all of us. When good equanimity is present towards certain experiences, you know, then you know, this tends to go along, this equanimity tends to you know, go along with a number of other wholesome mental states, such as faith, such as mindfulness, such as moral shame, and um, moral fear of wrongdoing, non-greed, non-hatred, tranquility, lightness, malleability of the mind, wieldiness of the mind, and proficiency as well as rectitude of the mind.
because of you know, the presence of those wholesome uh, mental states, the mind will be very uh, relatively uh, strong. Now, apart from what has been said so far, the enlightenment factors tend to come to prominence, especially when this insight knowledge of equanimity about certain formations um, unfolds and certain matures. Among those enlightenment factors, we have mindfulness, we have investigation of states, we have energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, equanimity, and that's it. Yet another feature to uh, be observed, and it's certainly easy to uh, recognize, is certain that, um, at least at certain points, in uh, time, the uh, third of uh, the four establishments of uh, mindfulness, namely Chitta, Nupasana, Satipatthana, so mindful contemplation of uh, the mind, that that one comes to the foreground. Now, establishing equanimity uh, towards certain uh, formations, towards experiences, is an easy job or a difficult job. You, what do you say? Difficult, yes, that's correct. And various difficulties tend to arise. Namely, one of those difficulties is that the practice of retreatants, a retreatant manages to develop his or her practice, let's say, to an initial point of equanimity and is very delighted about this and sooner or later the mind gets distracted or the mind indulges in the delight and with this the practice drops off. It drops off and then one has to build it up again. And so there can be plenty of fluctuations, the meditation progressing and dropping off, progressing and suddenly collapsing. So this is a particular situation that we need to learn to deal with. Now, other difficulties are there. And I'll first just mention uh, some of uh, the major ones before uh, we go on uh, to look at uh, some of the solutions. The controlling faculties at times might not be well balanced. The enlightenment factors too might not be balanced. There uh, could 
be a relative weakness of the controlling faculties or enlightenment factors. The mindfulness as sudden uh, a controlling faculty or as an enlightenment factor might still be somewhat weak, somewhat discontinuous. Now, a point that oftentimes sudden retreatants don't uh, realize, if Fudno there is uh, you know, still a fair amount of impurity left, uh, or impurities left in the mind, nothing will happen. So then it will be difficult to uh, establish this equanimity. Or, when a retreatant is making a good effort in his or her practice, but is not really totally attentive to the present moment and allows the mind to go on an occasional vacation, then this too will make it difficult to accomplish equanimity towards formations. Can you think of other difficulties? Any other difficulties? No, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> well, having expectations, subtle hopes and desires, setting time-bound goals certainly for practice, so in other words, setting deadlines, being under time pressure, and uh, then as on occasion the practice fluctuates, so it drops off, one is likely to re-encounter the hindrances, so one has to learn to deal with them. Or there could be uh, a great amount or a substantial amount of wandering mind remaining, and one is not addressing this. Or it could be that one's equanimity as a whole is still you know, too uh, weak. Or it certainly could certainly be that there is a subtle resistance to you know, what is going on in one's practice. Furthermore, at times uh, a yogi might lack the courage to move ahead no matter what. So you know, to move into uncharted territory. On, based on what a passage in the fourth volume of the Anguttara Nikaya says, section 14, when one is not constantly, continuously, and uninterruptedly, uninterruptedly experiencing the three universal characteristics, this too uh, will make it difficult to establish uh, equanimity towards formations. Or, at times, getting caught up with uh, reflecting 
on some psychological trauma or issue. So going back to that time and again getting entangled in it, um, that will hold one's practice back. Attitudes are subtle you know, things that can have a very powerful influence over our practice. And if we practice with an improper attitude, for instance, trying to force the attainment of Nibbana, then it will not work. So proper attitude is certainly needed. Now these are just some of the difficulties that certain retreatants typically come across and have to deal with. Now in terms of answers, the Buddha states that wise attention is certainly said to be the proximate cause for or or the cause for the arising of the enlightenment factor of equanimity. The relevant passage from the Samyutta Nikaya the 46th collection, Discourse 51, is as follows. And what, O retreatants, is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of equanimity and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of equanimity? There are, O retreatants, things that are the basis for enlightenment, as our basis for the enlightenment factor of equanimity, frequently giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of equanimity and for the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of equanimity. Now, that basis that we should be giving attention to is basis for the enlightenment factor of equanimity to arise. Now, then the commentary, namely the Papancha Sudani, gives and certainly uh, then enlists as or or, uh, gives as consisting of five points. The first one is to bring equanimity towards uh, um, living beings. And secondly, bringing equanimity and also maintaining neutrality towards living living beings 
In the Pali scriptural language, those are, uh, this is called Satta Majatata. Then the second basis is that of bringing about and uh, maintaining neutrality towards formations. Sankara Majatata. And as number three, avoiding persons who adopt a discriminative attitude towards beings and formations. And set number four is association with persons who maintain neutrality towards uh, beings and formations. And finally, resoluteness upon equanimity, tagt adimutata in the Pali scriptural language. Now, when it comes to the first basis, that namely um, maintaining equanimity towards certain living beings, that certain thing consists of two aspects. Uh, seeing that living beings are the heir to their own actions, and so, so simply accepting that their current you know, situation is owing to uh, uh, their uh, past actions. And then secondly, by considering you know, that from an ultimate point of view, you know, there is no living being to speak of. Now, two factors help to uh, develop neutrality towards uh, inanimate certain formations. The first one uh, being a reflection that, in the ultimately speaking, no one can claim ownership uh, for um, a physical object. So uh, the furniture you know, that we might be um, possessing and uh, that we have at certain home, when the time comes you know, to you know, move on, to cross over from this existence to the next existence, that furniture, even though we say we own it, can we take it along? We cannot. And. The second certain aspect certainly here is that uh, um, all new physical phenomena are in um, physical as well as certain mental are in a constant state of flux, so they keep uh, changing all the time, and that being the case, certain one you know, then becomes neutral towards certain. Uh, inanimate formations. The other uh, points uh, should be uh, obvious, the remaining three points.
Now, how to address certain the difficulties that certain might be arising in our meditation practice difficulties that we might find in establishing equanimity towards formations. So, f- for one you know, thing, to pay careful attention to those five bases as just outlined and to make sure you know, that certainly we then um, main, uh, maintain neutrality towards living beings, neutrality towards inanimate you know, things and certainly you know, that uh, we don't get uh, uh, or do not associate certainly you know, with uh, highly uh, partial you know, beings, discriminative you know, beings, and um, uh, also, and instead uh, associate with those who are uh, impartial. We want to see time and again formations in the light of anicca, dukkha and anatta. So whatever comes up, we uh, want to see, um, we want to uh, carefully investigate and then understand the respective characteristic. So it's one at a time. It also very much helps not to take formations as I or mine, not to identify with them, not to mm, see them as, or not uh, um, uh, wanting to possess them. Continuity of mindfulness as well as effort and concentration are yet things that will help to deepen our meditation practice. When it comes to the fluctuations described earlier on, that one briefly experiences a little bit of equanimity and then after indulging in uh, the wonderful experiences now then now the practice drops off so in a case like this it is uh, vital that a retreat and immediately recognize such a drop in the practice and immediately remembers to be mindful again in a continuous manner and uh, to observe especially difficult objects uh, with as much acceptance, patience, determined effort and detachment as possible. Now, among the difficulties, the uh, uh, wrongful, uh, wrongful attitude certainly was uh, mentioned. 
experience shows that it helps a lot when at this point in the practice retreatants practice with an attitude of footnote devotion so give themselves wholeheartedly to whatever predominant object comes along even um, paying closest attention to the most negligible object that shows up so we cherish our own practice we practice with care and respect we realize this is our practice and so we want to do it seriously with a good commitment point that naturally contributes to you know, the arising and strengthening of equanimity is having observed predominant formations such as the rise and fall and certain hundreds of other physical and mental you know, formations not just ten times but hundreds if not a thousand times or even ten thousand of times having seen it all the mind starts uh, assuming a new um, perspective or starts assuming a new attitude namely it says well you know, whatever it certainly comes up whether pleasing or you know, unpleasing it doesn't matter I'll just observe and when that certain um, point is reached then equanimity will be then it will be easy for equanimity to arise oh one more difficulty that has not been that mentioned so far is that retreatants at times you know, tend to get entangled in you know, their experiences. So if some you know, pleasant experience comes along, you know, then you know, there's an identification with it, you know, then wanting to enjoy you know, that experience, indulge in it, and suddenly with this uh, one breaks the, con you know, the continuum or the momentum of one's practice. So it's important not for the mind not to uh, get entangled with any object, for the mind not to hitch with this or that object. The Venerable Sadhupanita, Bhimams of Burma, in this regard, has certainly proposed the following illustration, namely that of mending some torn cloth with an old rusty needle in one case and in another case you know, mending that same you know, torn cloth with a brand new stainless steel needle now 
when you use an old, you know, dirty, rusty needle, and you use that to, you know, to you know, then uh, mend that piece of cloth, will it? What will the needle do? It will damage the cloth, it will hitch. So uh, it will get stuck here and there, you have to push it uh, you know, through you know, the cloth. Whereas when repairing uh, a torn um, piece of uh, cloth with a brand new stainless needle, then the sewing job will be a rather smooth and easy. So the same thing goes you know, for the meditation practice. At times when there is a capacity to sit for longer periods, let's say two to three hours, if a retreatant limits himself or herself by saying, okay, I'll just do my standard one-hour session, and with that I'll you know, do my response, uh, uh, I'll, I'll you know, take care of my responsibility, then there's a major um, problem that, could, that might come along with this. Because, let's say, the meditation unfolds quite nicely, it's moving ahead. However, one sits just one hour, there's the potential to go further in one's practice if one were to sit longer, and certainly one decides not to sit longer, and thus uh, one cannot further deepen one's practice. So when the, you know, the meditation allows you know, to you know, sit certainly longer, you know, then it's worth it certainly to extend one's sessions. But of course, if the momentum is not there, you know, then uh, things are not to be forced. Keeping the body still helps also what helps is well to pay closest attention to the continuity of one's effort, mindfulness and concentration, to keep the mind in the present moment as much as possible, to restrain the senses, to do everything as slowly as possible. Now, there are at least two approaches you know, to you know, formations at certain at this point. One is that one you know, first uh, observes certain of the predominant physical formations. Those over time will gradually become indiscernible and uh, uh, when that has suddenly happened, and then naturally mental objects come to the foreground, then one gives more and more attention to those mental formations. So in other words, a gradual transition from the observation of first physical formations to you know, then uh, more and more mental formations. The second approach could be 
that certain one selects one predominant object, could be the horizon fall or some other object, and you know, one then stays with that object and deeply you know, penetrates it, and in so doing, miracles might certainly uh, happen. Should on occasion formations become so mm, refined and indiscernible, so not only physical but also uh, mental objects, in that case, if there's still you know, some aspect of being conscious there, one could uh, label that accordingly as being conscious, being conscious. And if later on formations uh, become um, more predominant again, uh, then one goes back to whatever comes up. Allow me to conclude you know, today's Dhamma talk on the bringing equanimity towards certain experiences by wishing equipped with good composure towards certain of the five hindrances and certain other difficulties, equipped certain with the five controlling faculties and you know, the seven enlightenment certain factors may and continuous satna mindfulness may your meditation deepen more and more, may more and more, may equanimity arise, may it get stronger and stronger, and may that equanimity, together with the remaining enlightenment factors, lead you to the realization of Nibbana during this very retreat here at or here in the Tauski Valley. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.